Hi, I'm Sam Fesich from the EduMagic Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Patricia Patty Michelle. She is an award-winning, internationally recognized digital health specialist. Our focus is her book, The Antidotes, Pollution Solution. It's about a group of young people who come together to help save their town from an extreme biohazard. Awesome story. Awesome read. Awesome conversation. So much to learn. And by the way, before you go, it'd be so cool if you went to my website, stephenmaletto.com slash reviews and left a review. Could you do that for me? You know, uh, give me a five-star review and maybe say something very nice. You know, how about it? Hmm, that'd be so cool. You are so awesome. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And enjoy the show. It's the education podcast, your favorite show, with lots of groovy guests, and they share what they know. So crank it up to 10 and let your neighbors know that here's another show with Dr. Steve Leto. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Teaching, learning, leading, K-12. Ah, ah, with Dr. Steve Leto. Dr. Patricia Patty Michelle is an award-winning, internationally recognized digital health specialist of three decades. Her work has been honored by the John Hopkins University Knowledge for the World Distinguished Alumnus Award, the British Council UK Education Social Impact Award, and the Rockefeller Foundation's Bellagio Resident Fellowship. On top of being a public health specialist, Patty is also a mom and author who combines her passions for technology and innovation, science, women's rights, and the environment to inspire kids and adults through her writing. Drawing on her career in global health, Patty's works wrestle with the toughest public health and societal issues of our time, including the environment, pandemic preparedness, responsible technology, and AI and mental health. She's recognized as a pioneer in the use of mobile and other technologies for health. In addition to having several books published, including her debut novel, The Antidotes, Patty has penned more than 100 publications on various aspects of public health and technology in scientific and health journals. Her writing draws on her more than 30 years of work in 45 countries in Africa, Asia, Europe, North America, and Latin America. She earned a Ph.D. in public health and policy from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and a Master's in Health Science in International Health from the John Hopkins School of Public Health. She resides in Washington, D.C. For more information, see patriciamichelle.com. You can also follow The Antidotes on Instagram at The Antidotes Series. And I'll put all that stuff in the the show notes, and we'll talk about it towards the end so that we get to all... Correct spellings and all that good stuff. Uh, Today, we're focused on her book, The Antidotes, Pollution Solution. Patty, thanks so much for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Thanks for having me, Steve. And it's great to be here. Hello, everyone. Well, glad to have you here. And uh, Patty, let's start with this. How'd you get focused on becoming a public health specialist? I mean, at some point you had to say, that's my thing. Yes. And and it was a very... uh, concrete moment in time. I was a an undergrad at Johns Hopkins University. And while I was there, I was studying international relations and pre-medicine. And I knew I wanted to be a doctor in Africa. I'm originally from Egypt. And so I envisioned myself um, working on the continent somewhere and uh, and addressing things like maternal and child health, hunger, poverty, et cetera, and those types of health issues. And the year was 1993. 
The World Bank had just published the World Development Report, and the theme was investing in health. And I was taking a class, uh, fortunately for me, at Johns Hopkins. There's a wonderful school of public health, which I am now currently on the faculty of, and I studied there for my master's degree. And they had a, a, a class called Careers in International Health. And and as part of that class, they introduced us to this report. And I still have my copy of the report. And I read that report cover to cover, underlining, highlighting, posting, uh, and and I decided that that was me. And, and the reason was that I was so inspired by the fact that there are basic things that we know we can do to save people's lives and keep ourselves and those around us healthy. And it filled me with incredible optimism that through sort of collective action that we could help, you know, thousands, if not millions of people at a time. Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. Well, good stuff. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's cool because everything that you've written about and in the stuff that you do and it, you know, call, all comes back to this and which is really neat. And now you, you've written a, a, uh, kind of like a YA novel that, uh, or, uh, uh, that's focused on kind of the middle school age, I think right in that, that range. And, uh, um, and we're going to focus on this book. It's called The Antidotes, Pollution Solution. And I understand that you wrote it with your 10-year-old son. Okay, what was that like? Sure. That was, one, it was a lot of fun. And it was also deeply inspiring and educational at the same time. And we started the book when he was seven, actually, at the start of the pandemic. And and as I was sort of watching you know, everybody and their mother basically bungle up, you know, what should have been a relatively straightforward public health response to the pandemic. I was joking with him that we would not be in such a mess if kids were in charge. And he really took off with that and just started riffing on what would happen if kids were in charge. And and I had started writing fiction a few years before that and and was encouraged to consider writing middle grade fiction because there wasn't a lot of really solid science oriented, smart middle grade fiction. And so so we played around with the idea of writing a middle grade fiction book about a group of kids who stop a future pandemic before it starts and and as the world shut down, it became our pandemic project. And I still have pictures from the post-it sessions where we created the characters, we developed the storyline and the plot, and uh, and then also where we were playing around with different titles. The original title was Disease Stoppers, but by the end of the pandemic, no one wanted to talk about diseases anymore. And so it, you know, uh, it was, it was great fun. And then we would read as I would write chapters, we would read them together. And, and this is where the educational part comes through. He would either look at me with a really puzzled look when he didn't understand something, or he would just come out and say, mom, nobody would say that, you know, what are you like, what are you writing about? And that. I knew I had to go back to the drawing board and just fix it. 
Nice, <laughs> nice. I like that. Nobody would say that. <laughs> that's cool. That's I, I, that's so cool. I mean, I, I'm, my my sons are in their in their twenties, and uh, and uh, that that would have been cool to have done something like that when they were uh, in those ages. I love that. Yeah. You know, all right. So, who's your target audience for the antidotes, and and why? Sure. So it's young people ages eight and up. And by young people, I mean, everybody, (laughs) I think it is the, you know, the story itself, you know, is, is centered in middle grade, but the themes in the, in the book um, are relevant to just about anybody, including a lot of professionals in, in the sciences, et cetera. Um, I think also to, you know, science teachers, uh, as well as reading teachers and fostering uh, cross-disciplinary collaboration between science and reading. There's a lot of really great historical fiction that is used for cross-disciplinary learning in social studies and reading, but not a lot of science. And so what I wanted was to sort of create a, a fun way to engage young people in science as well as diversity in the sciences. There's, you know, uh, an epic battle between, you know, uh, the young boy narrator gear and the young girl narrator Izzy over, you know, whether or not uh, girls could be as good at science as boys and the value of diversity and inclusion in sciences. And so, so it really, it has a lot, a lot of different types of audiences. Um, but the main audience being young people, um, from, from eight and up as well as, you know, their parents, their teachers, et cetera. Very cool. Yeah. That's, and it's, and just a note, it's, uh, what's, what's really cool also about it is that you, your book puts a team of friends together to solve a problem with science and they only have a short time frame in which to answer it or to deal with it, to address the issue. And what I, I just like this idea of this team of different people coming together, um, especially kids who, who got a different outlook also on, on the world from their perspective. And uh, I mean, why do you think kids will like this type of story? I mean, this type of premise. Sure. I, it is filled with shenanigans and it is, it is fun. It is fast. It is very action oriented. It definitely moves very quickly. And, and somebody described it to me sort of like the breakfast club, but for middle grade kids. Nice. And, and I really loved that description because it really is kind of, you've got like all the, it's a very diverse set of characters. Yes. You have <laughs> Olu who is the the drama king and super into theater and drama and uh, and social media. You have Izzy, who's really quiet and shy, but really great at science until she's like not quiet and shy. And you learn that she's really great at other things, too. You have Gear, who is sort of a natural born leader, um, but he has to grapple with his parents' uh, pandemic divorce and and living across two households you have leo who is the uh the quintessential uh techie who you know loves to have his nose in his in his laptop making video games and then you have susie the bully the class bully um and and so they're all you know just a wonderful cast of of characters and uh and, and I do love the, the description of, of, of the Breakfast Club because they do sneak around and they do 
um, all sorts of other stuff. <laughs> Which is really cool. And, all right. So I, I got to ask this, because especially as I hear you describe them and thinking of them as the Breakfast Club and so forth, because it fits very well. Uh, any of them, uh, you? They're all a little bit of, nice. of me and a little bit of my son nice. and a little bit of, of other kids that we know and, and, and young people that we know. And so we sort of, we, we sort of took ourselves apart and embedded different qualities in the, uh, in the different characters. And that was, and that was a lot of fun. It was fun to see them all kind of come to life. That's cool. That's, that's very cool. That's, you know, cause there's all kinds of things going on in there and, you know, it's, uh, they're just, and there's, there's like curiosity. There's, you know, there's things outside that are, they're having to deal with and we're getting ready to talk a little bit about something that you include in, in the story. But before I do that, I mean, I, like one of the things that I think is real cool is the, the whole thing about the dad who has the research boat, the, the ship. And, uh, I mean, you don't hear people talk about that a lot, but I've known people who that's their, what they do. They go out there and, and I thought that was a cool, cool aspect of having uh, that, you know, that in your family where you could, uh, you know, talk about, and by the way, the descriptions of the smells associated with the father, just, <laughs> it's like, it sounds like kids. <laughs> so good stuff. <laughs> um, all right. So, you know, something that is not missing from your story is the kids have had to deal with the pandemic. I mean, why'd you make it a part of your story? Sure. So the pandemic happened. It happened yes, it to kids everywhere in the world. There is not a single kid on the planet that has not been somehow impacted by the the global pandemic. And in many ways, it was sort of a once in a lifetime pandemic. Uh, I don't actually think it's a once in a lifetime occurrence, particularly for this next generation of young people. And so for me, it was really important to to kind of show and illustrate uh, some of the effects of coming out of a global pandemic to encourage conversation about the pandemic. I think we don't have a full appreciation of like all the ways that young people have been impacted by the pandemic. And, and I think a lot of the focus in, in schools has been on academics and on helping kids to catch up academically, but there's also a lot of social emotional stuff that happened in uh, during the pandemic to, uh, to our young people. And, and I think it was important for me to write about it, to acknowledge that, that they that their lives were dramatically impacted by this and not to sort of brush over that and create a forum for discussion around, you know, some of those topics and some of those issues. Um, and then also to then highlight the need for, okay, let's not have that happen again. And, right. <laughs> and now what do we need to do you know, as young people to prepare ourselves in case we do start to see another pandemic kind of percolating and and are there things that we can already be thinking about and and doing to prepare ourselves for uh the next pandemic that's that's powerful because it's like you know it, there there's some things where we had almost kind of things happening like the the SARS um epidemic that took place and there were you know bird flu and a couple other things that kind of, you know, hit at different times, but never just the world like it. No. 
No, I mean, including like Ebola, Zika, you know, where we had things that came into the United States that 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 barely came in. Right. So they they came in, they affected a few people. And then and then we didn't hear about them uh, again because we were able to respond to them quite quickly and deal with them effectively. This was one of those situations where we did not (laughs) we did not respond to it fast enough and we did not deal with it particularly effectively. He got that right. The, uh, you know, it, it's, it is a fascinating thing though. Cause they, when you think about, they, they lived through this and I, I was in, uh, working in a very rural part of, uh, of Georgia, the state of Georgia in, uh, in that, that time. And, and it was interesting because the high school kids, um, were trying to figure out ways that they could still stay connected with each other. And so it was kind of cool because you would see them in this, uh, um, small shopping centers parking lot and they would park their their vehicles in different areas and kind of stay away from each other but stand outside their vehicles and talk to one another and at some point the police would come through and remind them to kind of you know stay a little more separate and 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 uh, or that when a curfew was enacted that uh, they had to hang it up but i that always impacted me when i you know the need to have the social interaction was so strong that they you know, went back to doing something that was second nature to them when school was going on, that that was a place to be. And uh, you see them trying to make it happen. So, yeah, there's so many things that uh, I think people don't realize how much it impacted the kids. No, and I don't think we'll realize it for like a long time. I think there are certain things that are going to manifest themselves throughout the lives of these young people um, that that we may not be uh, fully appreciative of or aware of now. Uh, I think you're right. Uh, so let's talk about plastic and issues in our real world. I mean, what are you hoping that the readers will take away from this part of the story? Sure. I mean, I think one, I hope they'll take away that it's out of control, that we have a serious problem with uh, with plastic, that uh, that there is something we can do about it, and and that they'll start taking action to uh, to reduce their consumption, especially of single use plastics. When you see the the knock on effects that it's having, um, I think I don't think I fully appreciated it until I chose. You know, when I was looking for a public health issue that could turn into a pandemic, I was very interested in identifying an animal human disease because more and more diseases that we're experiencing in the human population are coming from animals transmission into a human. And so, um, and so with that, you know, was looking at fish and looking at people, you know, kids and fish and, and, and sort of this idea of, uh, and I had read a, a paper on a plastic eating bacteria experiment and, and all sorts of other. So I was like, okay, so let's, you know, connect all the dots. But as I was doing my own research for the book, I, did not appreciate how much of an issue plastic was until I chose to have it be the vector of the disease that would would make, you know, fish and kids sick. And it is a serious, serious, serious problem when you think of the fact that it takes, you know, two minutes to drink a bottle of water out of a plastic bottle and it takes 250 years for that bottle to decompose. And, and so, you know, when you start to look at 
the complete infiltration of plastic into everyday life, especially in in the United States um, as a consumer society that likes convenience, et cetera. And and then you think about the environmental impact that that is having. It's 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 very dramatic. And then and then since I wrote the book, we've now had a lot more reports about microplastics getting into our water supply as well as into our food supply. And so this is not it's it is it is an issue. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's it's it's rough. That's you know, it's, there's so much, especially because it's become so much part of our lives. And one of the things I think is cool in your book is you know you have characters who get in disagreements <laughs> with each other and uh, or <laughs> don't understand why the other one is upset because the other one says, "Well, I drink only healthy water, and uh, I have the I have the." You know, and it's like, no, you're drinking the you got plastic bottles, and and I. I think it's interesting that the characters uh, you have them actually get into discussions um, where they're kind of on opposite sides or not understanding the other side of it. So I think that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's one of those things, especially when you know the population of the world is such that uh, you know we can't we really don't know what to do with our trash, and so when a lot of it gets dumped and sunk to the bottom of an ocean or something like that, and you know that's uh, <laughs> it's going to be harmful eventually. I would think. It, it is. And, and I think one of the interesting things is, is in the book, I do include a, a plastic, a zero plastic challenge that I found through, um, through National Geographic that I really liked and appreciated. And I, you know, we've taken the, the zero plastic challenge at home and it is not easy. It is not easy, but you do start to identify patterns of plastic consumption and and areas where you can reduce your plastic consumption or you can start to cut you know certain things certain things out and and we've done that and we've definitely reduced and become a lot more conscious of our plastic consumption we have not gotten to zero plastic it is near impossible but i think even just being able to go from you know 50 pieces of plastic you know that are less biodegradable to, you know, 10 pieces of plastic that are more biodegradable is, you know, a significant shift. And I think, you know, if people can, can start to think about, think in those terms and, and start to take action in those ways, I think that'll um, at least help us mitigate some of the spread of plastic in, in our uh, in our environment makes sense makes sense i you know it, it's funny because it, in uh um, we like going to zoos and uh um stuff like that we go see animals and such and you know one of the things that uh, a lot of zoos have are instead of so like if you buy your lunch there or something like that instead of having plastic utensils they have these unique things that are made from either recycled products or something that they're there's some you know i don't I don't know if it's half the thousand years or what, whatever it is, but they're biodegradable of some sort. And it's kind of an interesting thing as you see people trying to come up with ways in places that, you know, because a zoo is a place where they don't want the animals to ever, you know, suddenly you see that the, you know, the llama's eating a fork or something, you know. And, <laughs> um, but uh, it's, uh, it's interesting as you see humans trying to find out some way of uh, still being able to have the convenience of whatever it is to, but, replacing it with something that may not last as long. <laughs> I don't know. 
Correct. And, and I think that's important. I mean, I'm, I'm now experimenting with poop paper for my dog and, nice, <laughs> just to see you know, sort of what that was like. Cause in, in our experiment, one of the biggest areas where I was like, I don't think I can not use, you know, poop bags for my gotcha, dog gotcha. When, I, when I walk him. And now, you know, there are uh, plant-based and biodegradable poop bags, which is great, but there are also paper, um, uh, paper-based poop bags. And so we'll see how, we'll see how they all, how they all shake out. I like that. That's it. Because at first, when you mentioned that, I was thinking, I was thinking to the, you know, have you ever had, uh, like a book or something that's that's been made out of the papers been made out of like elephant uh, um, poop. Yeah, <laughs> and, and uh, so that's what I first what I thought you were talking about. I was like, no, no, no. no, no. <laughs> so yes, it's cool the, the different things that they, <laughs> we're trying out. So good stuff. I even <laughs> gets a little used. To, you have to get used to it. I think <laughs> so. <laughs> cool stuff. I. You, you, I got to ask you this. Do you have any thoughts about how a teacher could create an engaging lesson by using your book, The Antidotes, and information about pollution in our oceans, rivers, and lakes? Uh, any thoughts about that? Yes. And actually, uh, we just recently created a, an activity guide and discussion guide for classroom teachers using the book. And so it, it is available for free download on uh, my website uh, and Essentially, it provides experiments that correspond with certain sections of the book, as well as you know, a glossary of terms from the sections of the book, discussion questions, et cetera, that, that help bring the book to life for science teachers and reading teachers to engage in that cross-disciplinary uh, collaboration uh, in addition, you know, parents can use it at home. During the pandemic, I created mom school for my son just to make sure that we kept up with academics. And so it just lends itself well to um, to running uh, experiments that that line up very nicely with the National Science Teachers Association um, curricula for uh, for middle grade for middle grade students and a lot of the activities that are sort of recommended for children in in grades uh four to um to seven that's awesome very cool and uh, i'll remind everybody that in just a little bit i'll be going over where the website is and so forth so you'll be able to find that you know it's, it's cool because you know when a lot of times kids get behind initiatives and stuff like this you do see the impact that happens and so for example uh you know i was a kid in the 70s and in the early 70s um my favorite time was Saturday mornings in the cartoon world. And in between those cartoons, you often, there was like one show that was sponsored by the, the kids magazine, uh, weekly reader and stuff like this. And, and they did a lot of focus and you saw these commercials where they were focusing on trying to remove the use of DDT in the environment because of um, especially bald eagles eating the fish, the fish getting impacted by the DDT and then the DDT impacting and killing the, the babies of the eagles and uh, in the last couple of years, I've had a chance to go out to Alaska and um, the amount of eagles that are out there, the bald eagles is just amazing. It's like you see, you see that impact. And so, you know, it, it's, it's quite possible that, uh, you know, there's other things that uh, you'll see uh, that, like your book could have an impact on, uh, you know, getting kids to think that way. So good luck with that. I think it's cool. So good stuff. Uh, you know, um, could you talk a little about using fiction to help children understand complicated health issues of our day? I mean, that's, that's a cool tool. That's a neat 
a neat device. So talk about that. Absolutely. Um, I think one of my favorite experiences as a as a student was actually in university where I took a course called African Politics Through Fiction. And, and I remember, you know, once a week, we would have to read a book by a prominent African writer. And then we would have a seminar class where we discussed it. And we had this South African political science professor who you know, oversaw the course. And and as somebody who has now spent, you know, the last 30 years working primarily in Africa across, you know, 20 plus countries and and having been introduced to politics in Africa through fiction, it, it really brought to life a lot of the environments that I was working in and learning about, et cetera, and provided good context for me to be able to engage in a lot of the work that I do professionally. And so, you know, really thinking about things like how do we bring public health to young people, right? And and it's not going to be in, you know, your health class, right? Because who growing up ever liked health class? Like, you know, the way we teach health is horrible. You're going to make me laugh out loud for a second because, yeah, that's... But that's I, bet you every, I bet you every person remembers what it was like to sit in in a health class and listen to some, you know, litany of all the things that we should do or should not do, et cetera, in, in health. And, and I wanted a way to bring especially public health, which is, you know, this idea that my actions will impact my own health plus the health of others um, to life, but in, in a way that was like really, really fun and, uh, and engaging and would pique young people's interest and then encourage them to have, you know, kind of fun conversations about, uh, about some of these issues um, in a way that was not like, you know, fifth grade health class. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's, the, yeah, that's the, boy, yeah, you're bringing back nightmares there. That's like, whoa, hey, yeah. <laughs> Can't wait for uh, what what comes next. I, anything but, you know, <laughs> just uh, but good stuff. I, you know, I, I, I like that analogy, by the way. That's uh, good. Uh, yeah, some nightmares. Um, you know, Patty, I, you know, in a little bit, I'm going to be talking uh, about your, we're going to lead this into talking about your website and so forth. But I understand you do speaking engagements. I mean, could you talk about some of your favorite topics and how someone would learn more and connect with you? Sure. So I I just love one. I love learning from people that I um, that I talk to, but also um, also engaging in sort of inspirational um, and motivational talks. And and a lot of the topics that I'm particularly passionate about are uh, are engaging young people to take a much more active role in their own health and the health of, um, of those around them and collective action among, among young people. And, and I also love, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, and they added medicine to that list. So it's now STEM <laughs> and, and the arts and, uh, and really thinking about, you know, things like in talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, and girls in STEM in particular, and how do we encourage girls to to take more active um, uh, interest in in the STEM fields because we need them? Uh, you know, uh, 
general trends in public health and public health policy are some of the other issues, as well as technology and responsible technology. So I've I've spent a good part of the last you know, 25, 30 years working on mobile phones and health. And um, and there's the good, the bad, and the ugly of technology, <laughs> technology and health and um and technology and society and sort of ways in which it is, you know, um it's really beneficial for, you know, for improving access to health for those that don't have it, but it can also be uh very detrimental in in terms of um you know, increasing depression among young people uh, and that sort of thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. The, uh, um, and yeah, this, and I wish we had more time cause that's a, that's a whole nother planet right there. that I'd like to go into, which is talking about the, uh, those technologies, uh, center around the phone or the tablet and just the different stuff that impacts people. And, uh, but, uh, for another time, we'll have to do that another time. So good stuff. Uh, so tell me, where would you send anybody who wants to connect with you? Where, where's that website and uh, um, any, uh, anything on social media? Where, where would you send them if they want to learn more and connect? Sure. Uh, so please do visit my website. It's uh, www.patricia.michelle. My name is spelled M-E-C-H-A-E-L.com. And I do have a monthly newsletter called The Antidotes Community, where I send around, you know, book news, giveaways, um, you know, upcoming events that are happening, and then just topics of general interest for those that are interested in public health among young people, girls in STEM, those sorts of things. And um, and then I also am on Instagram uh, at The Antidotes Series. And yeah, so those are the, the two main ways to, to get in touch with me. Very cool. I'll put that in my show notes so it's easy to find and easy to get in, connect with you. So good stuff. Uh, any new adventures or books in the works? I mean, the antidote is going to have another adventure. I mean, we got uh, the team going on a new, you know, new journey. They are. And I was working on it this morning. Cool. <laughs> and, uh, the, the second book in the series, the uh, the working title is Masters of Technology. So it is nice. it is focused on technology and uh, the young people are uh, exposed to a an algorithm that exposes their private search history. And, uh, uh, and they have to learn how to, uh, be critical thinkers and users of, uh, of technology. Um, and so that is adventure number, (laughs) adventure number two. Excellent. (laughs) uh, Awesome. Coming coming soon. soon. (laughs) I love that. That's nice. So I like the way you, you brought in that, that world that you like to focus on too. So good stuff. I look, look forward to it coming out. You gotta let us know. We'll, uh, we can do another talk when it comes out. So. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. The, uh, so I got two last questions I'd like to ask you, and, and these are questions I'd like to ask my guests. Uh, the first one is, how do you keep going when so much is going on that you may want to quit? I think that's such a great question. And, and I do, it, burnout is real. I do think that when you, when, especially um, in, in fields like public health or health in general, we've seen a lot of burnout among health professionals, et cetera. And, and, you know, and, and especially because, you know, when you're working on a thing where you need everybody to care about something and then people don't seem to want to care about the things that you like know and believe they should be caring about, it can be very frustrating. Um, 
And, um, but there's a, a really fantastic um, antidote to burnout. And, and that is working towards something that you're really passionate about. And, and so um, I read a book called Burnout that, that basically it was just like, and it's true, you know, when I am able to focus on something that I am really excited and passionate about, um, you know, the other stuff that would normally get me down does not get me, um, does not get me down. And it leaves me more hopeful and optimistic than, than not. And now working with young people makes me even more hopeful and, and optimistic because they're not, they love science. They want, they want to do something, you know, for each other. They love working together and and so I'm I'm much more optimistic that that they'll overcome some of the more individualism that we've now seen that has left us in the situation that we're in with the climate and with public health. Um, I think these young people are going to um, blow us away. I think they they already do. They blow me away every day. I think they're going to to continue to inspire and blow us away. Love that. Love it. Thank you. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who, who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given a chance to say thank you? I have more teachers that I know what to say. with. I was very, very fortunate, um, but I will name one. And, um, and, and, and it's Dr. Gadabaku, who was my physics and chemistry teacher in high school. And Talk about having a role model. She was from Liberia, um, had had her PhD in in chemistry, and just modeled what it was to be a fun, cool, hip sci woman in science. <laughs> um, who I got to play her on Teacher Student Exchange Day, cool. um, <laughs> and she staged a rebellion in my class. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. <laughs> say thanks. (laughs) Um, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, um, but she was the one who encouraged me to look at international health as a field. Um, and, uh, and yeah, was just a fantastic road model. And, and I would just want to say to her, you know, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for just being herself and, and bringing the passion and energy that she had for physics and chemistry into the classroom, but also the humanity and, uh, and, and the fun and the way that she uh, encouraged um, me and, and other students to, to pursue those fields um, in a way that we might not have without her as sort of a role model. That is so cool. So awesome. Hey, Patty, thanks so much for talking with me. The Antidote's Pollution Solution is an excellent story for getting kids interested in science issues of our day and hopefully maybe even solve some of these problems that we've created as adults. Uh, wishing you success in everything you do. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it. Hey, you have been listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast to help you help kids achieve their dreams. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is a member of the podcast network based in Canada called Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. The opinions expressed on Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions. 
Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Hey, thanks for listening. It would be awesome if you visited my website at stephenmaletto.com and connected with me, left a review, and listened to more episodes. And by the way, you could also share it with your friends, with your family, and uh, your colleagues. Thanks so much. You're awesome.